0: Welcome to StellarCast, the Stellar Recruitment Podcast. Let's go on an inspiring journey by listening, learning and taking key actions from our own recruitment experts, as well as industry leaders and inspirational individuals. By unlocking our own transformative change, we can all become the best versions of ourselves. Right, guys, we've got uh, Naomi Rogers joining us here today. She is a sleep expert. She is uh, well-published, well-researched, and has done an awful lot of work within industry, particularly the likes of the mining industry, regarding the benefits and the downside of quality sleep. So she's gonna share a range of simple tips and tricks and wider awareness around the topic of sleep. I'm really confident you'll enjoy. There's a lot of upside for grappling some of the things uh, she touches on. I think we all agree, life's just that bit easier when we get a good sleep. So I really hope you enjoy. Naomi, thanks for joining us here today. Uh, For the listeners, we've got Naomi Rogers joining us to talk about the all-important topic of sleep. So just going through a very brief introduction of Naomi's background. She's got a Bachelor of Science with Honours in Physi- uh, Physiology, a PhD in Sleep and Chronobiology. She's a Professor of Chronobiology and Sleep, in excess of 27 years' experience in chronobiology, sleep disturbance, fatigue, fatigue management, and neurocognitive functioning. She has a longstanding interest in the neurocognitive and health consequences of circadian disruption and sleep disturbance such as uh, occurs in in shift work. And your involvement and participation within academia and industry is far too great to list. It's quite extraordinary what you've achieved, but obviously speaks to your deep passion on the subject, but certainly had quite a lot of involvement and consultation with Queensland coal mining, uh, site safety and health representatives further to work with the Commissioner for Mining Health and Safety Queensland. So really uh, glad that you've joined us here today. I guess my view is, along with nutrition and exercise, sleep is one of the key pillars of health and and you would probably argue the the most important uh, pillar of health. But I also think that along with mental health, sleep is often not well understood uh, and largely left to chance and and people don't spend an awful lot of time understanding it and and sort of how to get better sleep. But yeah, uh, I I guess my view is uh, sleep is a foundation for everything and I think we all agree after a good night's sleep, life is just easier. So uh, definitely keen to unpack some key questions around this today, Naomi, but I guess just to start, how much sleep is enough?
1: Um, okay, well, thanks, Dawn. Um There's that, that old saying where you needed eight hours of work, eight hours of play, eight hours of sleep, and it turns out it was actually pretty correct. So um, we seem to need about eight hours of sleep for most people. There's studies that were done where we looked at people's performance when they had different amounts of sleep, and when they had eight hours sleep, they were performing fine. They're at you know their best, and they could keep their performance at high levels throughout the day. Uh, once people started sleeping for less than that, their performance would get worse across the day, and it get worse day after day after day. And then the only thing that brought their performance back was having some recovery sleep and getting back up to around that, that eight hours of sleep. Um, and we also see some health effects when people are sleeping less than the eight hours. So there's some big studies done looking at when people were sleeping, um, say around six and a half hours um, each night, and it affected long-term health. And we also know there's short-term health problems um, and a number of studies have shown how you know, sleep goes hand in hand with our um, you know, metabolic health, our weight and, and diabetes, and also with our heart. Uh, and also with mental health
0: as well. So some huge uh, linkages there between good uh, sleep habits and and volumes of sleep and and not. But, I mean, I guess just sort of picking up on some of the comments you made around, I guess, the downside of of poor sleep or not enough sleep and the impact on our health, what can you sort of comment on further there? So,
1: I mean, often we know if we don't get enough sleep, we feel really sort of lethargic and slow and, um, overall, our immune system tends to be lower. So, particularly in, in winter or when there's, you know, viruses and other things around, we're more likely to get sick. We're more likely to take longer to get over that sickness as well. So, you know, we're more likely to pick up a cold or the flu. Um, when we look at it long term, not having enough sleep regularly increases our chances of putting on weight and for obesity, developing type 2 diabetes and also for um, different heart conditions. So things like heart attack, stroke, um, heart disease. And like I said, we also know that sleep and mental health go, go hand in hand. So often uh, when people are depressed, they also have difficulty with their sleeping, and then that in turn adds to, to a lot of the mood disruption as well. So they sort of partner along with, with one
0: another. Absolutely. So some pretty profound and big impacts on our health as a derivative of our sleep habits. What about, I guess, those individuals? That's the downside, which I think uh, may prompt people to look into this uh, subject further, but I guess there's, other, there's another group of people that are intrinsically motivated by getting better and performing at their peak. Yep. So I guess if we put that lens on, what is the upside of taking time to get quality sleep? Well, we
1: all know, you know, we have had a good night's sleep we wake up and we feel refreshed, we're ready to go, we're sort of embracing the day and what we've got to do. So when we get enough sleep, it helps our overall performance so we can think better, uh, we can make good decisions. Uh, things like our reflexes are better, our concentration and our focus and our memory. Uh, we know that there's learning that happens during sleep. So um, people, particularly if people are studying or learning new things and they get a good night's sleep, that actually helps them in the next day with it. Um, people just find that you know they can get through the whole day. They feel like exercising more, which then in turn helps them to sleep better. So, you know, to me, I think you know, sleep, like you said, with nutrition and diet, all of it's part of a, a healthy lifestyle.
0: And and uh, I guess just a, a question off the back of that, uh, in the and age of wearables. What's your best recommendation about how you measure the quality of sleep? Because I think there's a stopwatch of you know falling asleep to wake up, but then some mornings you you feel really re-energised, other mornings you feel like you've been in bed for eight hours, but you you don't feel you feel a bit groggy or you don't feel that refreshed uh, given the same amount of time in bed. So any tips around the best wearables or device to sort of nail that sleep uh, quality and score?
1: So most of the wearables they're good at telling you when you fall asleep and when you wake up, but they don't really tell you much about your sleep quality. The technology is still not sort of quite there. The best way we have to do that is in the lab and have a look, you know, we put electrodes on people, we look at the different sleep stages. But I think with the wearables, people are then starting to pay attention to their sleep and they're thinking about it. Uh, One of the best things you can do for sleep is have a routine. So try and go to sleep at the same time every night, tend to wake up at the same time in the morning. And then hopefully that gives you the right amount of sleep that you need. You're waking up out of the right stage of sleep. Um, And then that helps you sort of get up and go and and have that energy and that drive to be active during the day.
0: Fantastic. Okay. When it comes to operating machinery and I guess your ability to operate in that realm, what's the impact of sleep deprivation? I mean, obviously, shift workers and people working alternating days and nights uh, are impacted. It's hard to get in that rhythm like you sort of talked about. So what what are the, the tangible sort of impacts on our ability to operate machinery when we're sleep deprived? Sure.
1: So whether we're talking about, you know, heavy vehicles, whether we're talking about driving a car on the road. So I said a whole different range of our performance is affected. And then when we look at what that means, you know, in the real world is, you know, we have trouble focusing and concentrating on where we're driving. If you drive behind someone on the road who is fatigued, um, they tend to look like they're drunk. So drunk driving and and fatigued driving look really similar. They have trouble staying straight in the lane. They weave across off the side of the road and then sort of dirt back on. Drive across the, the other side of the road, across the, the centre lines. Trouble keeping a constant speed. Um, you tend to become really focused on the road as well and you lose all your peripheral awareness and your reflexes are slower. So like if a roof jumps out at you, you might not see it quick enough. You don't respond as quickly. You don't make good decisions. So you're likely to have, I guess, more of a an accident or, and respond a lot less quickly than if you were driving when you've had enough sleep and you're not fatigued. Also, when we're looking at you know heavy vehicle driving, one of the big things we see with incidents on line sites is micro sleeps. So, micro sleeps is basically your brain saying, "I've had enough. I need some sleep," and it switches off. And it could be for a couple of seconds, it could be 10, 20, 30 seconds. It just depends on what wakes you up. Um, and of unfortunately, often it's you hitting something, or you see people where their heads nod down and then it sort of jerks up again. Um, so micro happen if we are uh, sitting at a computer, if we're driving a truck, if we're driving a car. And, you know, if you're driving a car at 110 k's an hour and you're essentially asleep for 10 seconds, there's trees, there's other cars. So, yeah, there's some quite scary things that we see with, with fatigue and driving, whether it's, like I said, on a mine site, on, you know, in trucks or in cars.
0: So, yeah, pretty profound impacts of poor sleep when it comes to operating machinery, be that on the road or on the mine site or a construction site context. And I think in part of the materials you sent through in preparation for this podcast, I believe in some states in the US, they're actually prosecuting on people that have been proven to be sleep deprived as a contributor to accidents. Uh, and, And I think there is... Studies, no doubt, and scientific views on the equal or maybe even worse impacts of being sleep deprived versus being inebriated in your ability to operate machinery.
1: Absolutely. So in the States, I've got specific legislation in some states. But in Australia, there's been prosecutions as well with people who've been found to be driving when they're knowingly fatigued. I've seen it in Western Australia. I've seen it um, in Mackay courts seen it in Adelaide recently where there was a paramedic who fell asleep while he had a patient in the back of the ambulance. There's also big implications for people that they don't realise with their insurance and work cover. So if people are knowingly fatigued, and particularly if they have say, a journey management plan and they're not following what's in it, I know of instances where work cover have said, we're not covering you because you haven't followed you know, what you said you would do. And also your car insurances have refused to, to insure people Um, The police are looking out for it. They can get an amazing amount of information out of people's cars and phones and see whether they actually were where they said they were, whether they had actually slept. Um, You know, they can get second-by-second tracking. And when we look at fatigue accidents, they look there's a particular way that a fatigue accident looks. So, you know, there's generally no braking. A lot of times people have got their cruise control on. You know, there's no changes in the steering until they hit or another car so the the accidents tend to be quite high impact if we look across australia between 16 and 20 percent of all fatalities on the road are due to fatigue so it's really similar to what we see with drink driving the accidents look similar the impact is really similar
0: yeah, crazy. So I think if that's not a, a wake up call, pardon the pun, to uh, to focus on the importance of making sure that you factor that in regarding your, your driving decisions, much like you would, you know, after a, a beer or two, you make that decision, do I, don't I? Whereas well, it's a similar sort of dynamic in terms of the repercussions if we uh, if we uh, get in cars when we're sleep deprived. So really interesting, to sort of unpack that. I mean, I think with different personalities and and different attributes, you know, there's different. Uh, views on things being fixed or, or, or things that we can work on, whether it's our mindsets or attitudes and all that sort of stuff. I'm interested to see whether it sleep's the same. I mean, some people seemingly sleep great and well consistently. Other people seemingly struggle to sleep. So is it fixed? Do we have predisposition? And I guess on the back of that, can it be changed? Uh,
1: so with our circadian rhythms, we um, yes. all generally have these 24-hour rhythms. So we, we've set up perfectly to be living on earth. It has a 24 hour yeah. day. If you look at animals, you look at plants, they all have the same 24 hour rhythms. For most of it, it's around 24 hours. There's a little bit of wiggle there, but for all of us, um, it's about that. Um, the difference is somewhere some people tend to be more morning people, or sort of larks, and some people tend to be more night people. Um, but still, it's only about 10% of the, the population. Other than that, we're pretty much fixed in um, our circadian rhythms. There was some cool stuff that was done in the US where with NASA, they tried to put some of their um, workers on a Mars day while they were trying to land some of their robots on Mars. Um, and even though Mars has only got a 40-minute longer day, people couldn't live on that. It was sort of beyond what we do. So we're really set up for, for 24 hours on Earth. With our sleep, it's similar as well in that we all have sort of what our, our sleep need is. But the thing is, it's really easier for us to stay up later, there's something good on TV or we've got work to do or we're reading a good book. So we force ourselves to to not listen to our brains and not listen to when we want to go to sleep. Some people claim that they're short sleepers and they can get by with, you know, four hours sleep, but they're also the ones falling asleep in meetings, falling asleep on the bus, you know, when they're driving. If you go on holidays and you don't set an alarm, you've got no restrictions on your, your sleeping, after the first sort of couple of days usually people need um, a bit of catch-up sleep, then how much sleep you're getting for the rest of that is how much sleep that you need. So probably about 5% of the population are true short sleepers and about 5% are true long sleepers. The rest of us, it still falls between about that seven, eight hours of sleep.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. There are a couple of comments, and a neuroscientist once told me the same, that if you're getting to the weekend and you're sleeping longer than normal, it's basically because your body or brain needs it, so sort of go with that. And other than the importance of getting to work on time and other key importance, would you be generally an advocate if there was no adverse ramifications? You wake up when your body wakes you up as opposed to being w- woken up by an alarm? A- and that's your internal sort of intrinsic circadian rhythm saying now's the right time to get up? Yes, yeah. Yeah. so you're waking up from the right stage of sleep, you're
1: waking up ready to go, um, if you look at there's a whole lot of our physiology that's linked to the circadian system. So when we wake up when we're supposed to, that's all set for us to be awake and alert during the day. And that's why shift workers find it so hard because they're trying to sleep when the brain's forcing them to try and be awake and active. And then at night when they're awake, the body's and the brain's sort of going, Hey, I'm set up for sleep, you know, I've got the hormones ready for sleep, I've turned off digestion. We should, be, we should
0: be resting. And when it comes to circadian rhythm, maybe we're sort of going down a bit of a, a rabbit, Warren, uh, with this next sort of add-on question, but notwithstanding those that are working night shift, but those that are on, you know, typical day shift, is it getting that infrared light that sort of comes first in the day that sort of sets us in motion, so to speak, for that, uh, you know, awake time? Yeah, the light's hugely important. So
1: basically our brain knows what time of day it is from the light level. And so getting that morning light is basically telling to the brain daytime, let's start the day activities, let's reset everything, and let's start the day. The problem comes more at the other end of the day when people have got light levels on, in you know, high light levels in the house, you're on screens, you're getting all that extra light, which is telling the brain it's still daytime when it really wants to be switching off to relax, get into to
0: sleep mode. Yeah, understood. And, and maybe we'll talk about that in a moment in terms of some of the things we can do to improve that. So you've touched on a, on a couple, and I guess just to sort of recap on a couple of those ones, I think maybe that early morning light uh, is pretty important and sort of when you get up, and some people might go for a walk or get that infrared light, which is, I think, generally maybe the first two hours of light each day, plus or minus before it goes to an ultraviolet light. And then I guess at the end of the day, you're then getting cues by sun going down to your brain that obviously we're getting towards the end of the day and getting closer towards sleep time, but technology, devices, lights interrupt that on that side. So what else would you add to things we can do to to get better quality sleep or get that structure right? And you you mentioned exercise before. What else can you touch on? Um,
1: Well, part of it is looking at where you're sleeping. So you want a room, obviously, that's dark, quiet, good temperature. Although like often of people find it hard to sleep in the summer when their bodies are heating up. If we look at what happens with our physiology uh, in the evening, our temperature starts to decrease and then it reaches a low point, between about four and six in the morning. Um, if you're ever awake at four and six in the morning, that's when it's hardest to stay awake, when your fatigue is high as your performance is lowest. Um, you start feeling cold, even if you haven't changed where you are. And then after that, it starts to increase but we fall asleep easiest when our temperature is decreasing. So if we're too hot, then we have trouble falling asleep, we keep waking up. With air conditioners, a lot of people like the older air conditioners, the old box-style ones, the rattle box ones. Yeah. So as well as cooling you down, they basically create white noise, so it can help block out some of that outside noise. Um, with all the new ones, they tend to be quieter, but a lot of people sleep with a fan in their room because it creates that white noise, or you can get a white noise machine. One thing that's really low-tech, that people can do is look at their pillows and their um, you know mattress. Some people have these you know ratty old pillows that they've had for about ten years. Get a new pillow. Often that can help yeah. with your sleep and particularly if you've got problems with your neck or you're waking up with headaches. You know, looking at what you're doing around bedtime. So taking time to relax. Um, you know making sure that when you get into bed you're ready for sleep. So you're not thinking about what you haven't done during the day or what you need to do tomorrow. Uh, what we often say to people is before you go to bed, sit somewhere and just write down all these things so you're not waking up worrying that you'll forget something. And also just having some sort of routine. Like our brain really likes routine and predictability. So even if you do something like, you know, read for ten minutes, get up, brush your teeth, go to the toilet, lock the door, go to bed. You can do that every time before you sleep. Then the brain starts recognising that whole sequence as part of bedtime and it'll actually start the Sleep routine, when you start that, that little routine, so by the time you get into bed, it's the last step, you fall asleep quicker as well. And that often helps uh, when people are doing shift work. If they've got that same routine when they're sleeping at night and sleeping during the day, the brain starts sort of associating it with, with sleep and that can sometimes help. Other things, like you're talking about exercise, the more you exercise and when you're fit, you'll sleep better and then you feel like doing more exercise. It's sort of that overall health. So you not having a really massive you know, meal and a lot of really heavy food that you're trying to digest before you go to sleep, not having too much caffeine or too many smokes before you go to sleep, both of them are stimulants, they wake you up. Also, and this one seems a bit counterintuitive for a lot of people, but not doing really vigorous exercise that really heats you up um, about, within about two hours of going to bed or not having a really hot bath or shower within about two hours. Because like I said, our body likes to sleep when it's, temperature's lower, mm-hmm. um, so if you do that a couple of hours before, that then helps your temperature drop, if you're too close to bedtime it you can sort of hurt it, and alcohol is another big one. A lot of people say they have a few drinks to help them fall asleep uh, or pass out, but what often happens is change your sleep pattern, so you're not getting as much of that deep sleep that you need and your recovery sleep, you're waking up a lot during the night, you're dehydrated, you're waking up to go to the toilet. Um, so not
0: having too much alcohol as well. Yeah, and I don't know if there's anything practical around that. I I, I did hear uh, maybe the neuroscientists talk about the fact that try not to eat at least two hours before uh, uh, bedtime uh, and maybe that went for drinking alcohol as well. Um, maybe an hour before you plan to f- fall asleep away from devices, any sort of stimulus in that regard. So pr- pretty simple sort of structural routine on that sort of side of it to sort of help um, propagate, you know, better sleep.
1: Oh, definitely. Because if you're doing something like, you know, playing games that's waking you up or it's a lot of your attention, you know, you need to sort of relax and then, you know, help the process of falling asleep.
0: Yeah, no, no. So I think there's some good sort of simple takeaways uh, in that regard. Other than what we sort of talked about already, what are your best tips for quantity and quality of sleep? And with that, you know, I think that maybe some of the shift workers can take away further to, I guess, you know, what I call the generic population.
1: I think having that routine and going to bed about the same time because our brain will try and wake us up at the same time um, every day. So, you know, if you get up early every day and you try and sleep in a bit more on the weekend, you often still wake up at that early time, even if you then feel like you need extra sleep and and you go back after. One thing that's really cool that I find particularly helps a lot of shift workers is, is often when they go to sleep, they can get a good sort of two, three hours of sleep and then it starts being really broken and they're in and out of sleep and they feel horrible. We did some studies where we looked at how people performed after having different amounts of sleep, but we split their sleep up. So some people got eight hours of sleep, some got five and three, four and four. And what we found was it was the total amount of sleep that seemed to be important for performance. So for a lot of shift workers, you know, saying, if you can get that good three or four hours sleep and then it starts being really broken, get up then, do whatever you need to during the day, then go back and have another sleep or a nap later in the day before you go to work. That way you're getting the benefit of, say, you know, five, six hours sleep, even though it's in two sleep periods, rather than just the shorter four hours. And then also when you're working across the night, you haven't been awake for as long because you've had sleep closer to when you're working. A lot of people find that that helps them by by having the two different sleeps. It doesn't all have to be at once.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's something that uh, occasionally I sleep pretty well, but occasionally when I wake up, and I'll, I'll uh, lie in bed and, and you're thinking you're struggling to get back to sleep, occasionally I'll, I'll get out of bed, I'll go get a drink of water or whatever the case is and then go back to bed. It's almost like I've broken that state of just going round in circles waiting to go asleep. and I tend to fall asleep better as a result. So is there a bit of science around if you're struggling to get back to sleep, get up, do something, sort of break that pattern and then go back to bed and you generally fall asleep better?
1: Absolutely. In so fact, what we recommend, and particularly people with insomnia or that, where you're lying there and thinking and, and, um, you know, don't have a clock in the room so you're not sort of obsessing of I've only got two hours to go sort of thing. But get up and sit on the side of the bed. Don't reach for your phone. Don't turn any lights on so you're not getting that that wake-up stimulus. After about 10 minutes, climb back into bed and then often you can fall asleep quicker because, yeah, you've broken that sort of cycle.
0: No, good good pattern. So I'll keep uh, testing that uh, strategy from time to time. But I guess just as we sort of near the end of the podcast, we've covered a lot of really valuable stuff and I think there's some good sort of simple takeaways, which is awesome. But I mean, you know, I think for some people to take action, often it's, you know, it's, it's maybe the ill health or issues in that regard. Other people, they take action because they're incentivized by incremental improvement and in performance and lots of stuff. But... How would you sort of sell the importance, or, or or compel people to sort of take some action around you know taking stock of some of the things we've talked about today?
1: Well, I mean, one thing I find is that people don't seem to think sleep's important. I usually get asked more, "How can I sleep less?" rather than, than more. But if you look at your sleep, like I said, you wake up, you're feeling good, you're active, you can concentrate better, focus, you can get through the day without struggling, and it's it's good for your health and it helps you to stay healthy because you feel like exercising more, and in conjunction with healthy diet and the exercise, um, you know, sleep is sort of the other piece of that puzzle that, that helps us to stay healthy but also helps us to stay safe.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, uh, it sounds like uh, a pivotal aspect. You know, there's the exercise, nutrition, and then the sleep is sort of maybe those you know, three key pillars that sort of tie together. And intrinsically, I guess we're designed to get that, you know, a third of our 24-hour cycle asleep, recharging, re-energising, repairing. And if it's not wider cognitive performance, then it's maybe, uh, it can help with wider health, if not disease, longevity, wellness in general, if not you know the, the catastrophic impacts of fatigue when operating machineries or doing a job. So big incentive to get it right, and a lot of upside there. And really, I think some of the things you talked about today are pretty elementary things we can do to maybe experiment and try to get better outcomes in terms of our, uh, our wider sort of wellness and health and, and sort of s- sleep that we're getting. So I think there's some pretty, there's nothing sort of overly complicated about that, the tips or tricks you've given us here today, which is great. Oh,
1: good. And yeah, like I said, things that touch every aspect of your life, like said, your health and your safety and, you know, quality time spending with family as well.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I guess that all ties into wider wellness, but I think the other thing that so many people are struggling with at the moment is that mental health piece. You know, so I think it's a, it's a well, clearly a big contributor in terms of that whole mental, mental uh, headspace and, and wellness on that sort of side of it. So there's a range of reasons why people should make a, a bit more of a priority around that, and I think. Generally, wider fitness is prescriptive, right? I go for a run, I go to the gym, I eat the right food and all the rest of it. I think often, you know, people would see sleep as being less prescriptive, but I think you've given us a bit of a list of things we can do to get a better outcome on that side of it. In this day and age of Garmin's or watches or Whoop's or Aura rings or whatever you want to use, at least there's a bit of consciousness and a little bit of data. It might not be as accurate as what you get out of the lab to, to give you that indication further to how you feel around how you're sleeping.
1: Oh, definitely. And then anything that gets people sleeping about, uh, thinking about their sleep and, you know, thinking about trying to to have healthier sleep habits, I think is is great.
0: Absolutely. So, Naomi, I'm really keen to sort of understand your view on the benefits or not around the power nap. Uh, I'm not a practitioner of the power nap. I know other people are. They talk about that sweet spot of 20 minutes or somewhere there, thereabouts. So, you're an expert. Can you share with us uh, whether or this is uh, true or a fallacy?
1: No, definitely true. Power naps uh, are great. You need to look at when you're having them so you don't have them too close to your normal bedtime. Yep. When we awake during the day, we build up sleep needs or sleep debt, and we need to pay it off from this sleep. With that nap, we're paying off a little bit of that sleep debt that helps us push through uh, the rest of the afternoon. Or if we nap before we go to work on night shift, you know, we've paid off a bit of that sleep debt, and we can push through further on the night. If we look at our sleep cycles, they generally last for about 90 minutes. And the first part of it is sort of a lighter stage of sleep before we get right down in that that really deep sleep. If we nap for 15, 20 minutes or so, we don't get right into that deep sleep. So we've paid off a bit of sleep debt. We can wake up a bit easier. We don't feel too sort of groggy afterwards. But we've got all the benefits then afterwards. Uh, when we do wake up from a nap or a longer sleep, there's a thing called sleep inertia. And we think it's the brain just slowly waking up. But during that time, your performance is lower. You know, you're not thinking properly. You're feeling a bit groggy. Uh, so after you've had a nap, you need to give yourself a five, ten 10 minutes or so to, to wake up from that nap, get rid of that sleep inertia, and then you're, you're good to go.
0: Okay, fantastic. Oh, it sounds like... A good strategy to employ, and there's benefits, and it doesn't sound like uh, if it's uh, providing it's not done too close to the normal bed time. There's no compromise on what your normal sleep will look like following that.
1: Exactly, and I mean if you think about if you look in Spain, so they have siestas, yeah, after lunch there is that increase in sleepiness that we have in you know the afternoon up until about two o'clock. Perfect time for a nap.
0: Yep, there we go. So that's good now, fantastic. Well, I'm glad we asked that question, Naomi. I'm personally a a meditator, I I, I do meditation before bed. Part of it's my routine around sort of unwinding and slowing down. Uh, I've looked a little bit into, I guess, the science of meditation and mindfulness and and the brain waves that you produce when you're in that state. So does meditation or mindfulness have any impact in the quality of sleep uh, you have, or as a sleep replacement? So you might not have the 20 minute power nap, but you might meditate for 15 or 20 minutes are you repaying any of that sleep debt and doing that as opposed to a power nap? So a couple of questions within that question.
1: <laughs> and so, I mean, I think med- meditation for people that can do it, it's all part of that relaxing, getting your you know, brain to switch off, get into that sleep mode, and it can help sort of transition you into that um, and help you to, to fall asleep quicker. It doesn't replace a nap. One thing is that the only thing that replaces sleep that we lose is sleep. But having some sort of downtime, some rest, can help with, I said, get some balance, and and like I said part of that, you know, nighttime routine, getting our brain prepped for sleeping, so that we then fall asleep quicker, go into, um, you know, our, our sleep patterns um, easier.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so it can be a good sort of uh, supplement towards getting towards that good sleep. Yeah. Certainly not a replacement, but you know, a good in terms of that uh, water relaxation, uh, stress management, that sort of thing, but maybe as a precursor to a good night's sleep, that could be beneficial. Definitely. Now, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to join us. Uh, obviously, you're busy with uh, all the different customers and and, and the studies, and you've been well-published in terms of the different uh, views and, and, you know, I guess realisations and learnings you're sharing with you know, wider academia and, and, and general public. So, yeah, you're making a big impact. I think it's a, it's a huge area of focus for a lot of people that uh, is poorly understood. So I appreciate you sharing some of those tips and tricks here today. Thank you, Naomi. Oh, thank you, Thank you for listening to StellarCast. This show aligns with why Robbie McIlrath and Sean McCambridge co-founded the company. Their mission was to help and nurture others to reach and exceed their potential. For trusted recruitment and career advice, contact Stella today.